I'm going to begin today by covering something that it has nothing to do with the sermon. I guess maybe you could say in general because it's a, a biblical kind of thing that it, it does have something to do with it. But I want to just talk about something just very briefly before we get into the message today. And, and that is this, as, as you folks that have been uh, in God's church for many years and have gone to the feast many years, I think all of us can, can reflect that some of our most incredible memories that we have ever experienced in life that stick in our minds often have tied back to the feast. Man, it's amazing. As this, this group is so small, I'm just looking at individual people right now. It's, I'm, I'm going to try, not, now I'm freaking you out, but uh, it's when it's bigger. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to look generally. So anyway, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, but anyway, it, it's, it's a bit strange with the smaller audience. But okay, back, back, to, the, back to the feast. Okay, with that, these, these memories uh, stick. And I, I've had, I, I can think of several memories of mine, some of, some of the most in, enjoyable experiences that I've had, places that I've gone, situations with brethren, meals that I've enjoyed, connecting with brethren over the years. Uh, some of my most positive memories come from Feast of Tabernacles interactions and experiences. I'll, I'll say this as well, in uh, the years that I've been in the ministry for 20 years now, uh, and in counseling with people, it's been interesting that I would say on the same level, some of individuals' most horrible, most damaging things that have ever happened to them in their lives sometimes has happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Mistakes made, uh, decisions made, actions taken, that have caused ir- irreparable, not irreparable, but, but scars in life spiritually. Uh, and as I think of, uh, of the, the feast, you know, we're, we're in a situation where in, we're in a completely different setting. And uh, here we are, we're coming to the feast with one-tenth of our yearly income. We've got more money than, than, uh, that we, than we generally have to be able to, to spend and enjoy things, yet we can find ourselves in some really, really interesting, challenging situations with which we've never faced. Uh, so uh, one of the things that, that, that I would say in, in talking with individuals that got caught off guard and got into situations that they, that they didn't think they, that they didn't even suspect to get in, be it alcohol, be it a situation, meeting someone, and, and then all of a sudden being in a compromising situation. One of the things that, that I, I would typically say, and, and especially to our young adults, if not uh, for, uh, for all of us, one of the best things to, to help put ourselves in a situation where we will, we will get from the feast what God intends for us to, to receive is to go into the feast with a plan. Go into the feast with a plan. What is my primary objective? My, my primary objective, as scripture says, is to learn to fear the Lord. I am to come before him and I am going to rejoice. God has given us this abundance to give us the foretaste of the millennium. I'm going to drink that in. I'm going to enjoy the food. I'm going to enjoy the fellowship. But the first, the first primary perspective that I have as, as one of God's people, as I come before the Lord to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, is to worship him. I am coming before him to worship him and to enjoy the abundance that, that he 
has offered by, by this tithe that we've kept to worship him. And I want to have joy and I want to have fun with no kickbacks, with nothing that comes back to bite me. And in order to do that, one of the things that we have to do is go into the feast with a plan. I, this is what I'm going to make sure that I do focusing time with God. I'm going to make sure that I set aside time to study God's word, that I make time to reflect on the services and the messages that I receive, that I make time to get out away from, from things and take that walk or to get out by Table Rock Lake or out on the mighty Comal River that, that flows at a rapid 0.0006 miles per hour or wherever we're going at whatever feast site, get out, get away, think, reflect on God. We're first there to worship God. And all of the abundance that I'm going to enjoy, the abundance in fellowship, the uh, abundance of food, the abundance of uh, strong drink, if, if, I, if I choose to do that. I go into it with a plan, and that, that abundance that we're to enjoy, as Deuteronomy 14 tells us, I will do that that is completely with, with, with God the Father, with Jesus Christ, there. Uh, tabernacling with me in a, in a sense and, and doing so with, with balance and, and circumspectly that we may be filled with the spirit and not filled with <laughs> drunkenness or, or wine as, as I think it says in Ephesians. But I'm going to make sure that I, I get those priorities right. Then those memories, those memories that we take from the feast uh, will be ones that we say, wow, what another inspiring feast that God's given us. You may be in a situation, especially our young adults, where you see a friend that maybe hasn't quite uh, set himself or herself up in that way. Be that friend that, that helps them if, uh, if you see uh, concern happening in that regard. But that's first and foremost. And the degree to which we do that is the degree to which we come back with incredibly positive memories, memories that last for a lifetime. Okay, nothing to do with the sermon. Now we're starting the sermon. Okay, I guess that, that is a kind of a sermon. Uh, my second sermon, that was a sermonette. It was shorter than Mr. Bennis's sermonette. It, the mini, mini sermonette. Now, now we're going to get to the message. A few weeks back, uh, Dr. Ralph Levy asked if I could fill in for him in uh, a few pa- covering a few passages of Genesis and also in another class that he teaches in Isaiah. And uh, in doing so, uh, he, I asked, well, Dr. Levy, would you mind providing me with some of your notes so I could kind of see some of what you're covering? And he said, no problem at all. And, and he sent me his notes. And as I, I told some of the, the, uh, the folks at FI, the notes that he sent, though, uh, were like three or four words after each scripture. And several of them were in Hebrew. Uh, so... I, I, got, I got some material, the gist of, of what I thought he was going to cover, but it, again, it gave me a greater appreciation for what these guys do day in and day out, the depth of knowledge that they have and the research putting the, uh, all that in. So anyway, I, I had a, a passage of Isaiah that, that I needed to cover. So I did use uh, 
his notes, but I also had to do a lot of work. And, and in doing that, I came across a passage in Isaiah that I thought, yes, I've, I've read this before, I've under, I think I've understood this, but I hadn't focused on it uh, to the degree that uh, I had in, in dealing with that class. And even in that class, I was only able to cover just a little bit, just a general kind of survey of 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 this topic, and I'd like to address this a little bit more today. This this brief passage of Scripture is embedded in a discussion of a vineyard, uh, which which is first talked about in Isaiah 3.13 and uh, and is kind of uh, discussed all the way through uh, chapter 5, verse 7. But today, I'm only going to cover uh, five verses in, in, in this section. And the title of today's message is A Five-Verse Passage to Send Us to the Feast. A Five-Verse Passage to Send Us to the Feast. It's actually found in Isaiah 4. And you know, to lay the backdrop, there are issues of, of what God says is, is bringing Israel to the point of, of destruction. And then in Isaiah 4, verse 2, he begins to discuss very briefly this, this neat little inset of a millennial kind of setting. I, I hope you find this uh, interesting. I hope you find this of value. And I hope you find it as a, as a means to, uh, as Mr. Bennis says, uh, head off on our travels uh, toward the promised land today. Isaiah 4, verse 2. Let's, let's just start there and, uh, to begin. I believe uh, this, this chapter, as, as you look at chapter headings, this chapter of Isaiah 4 is actually the second shortest chapter in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 20, I think, takes first place, but Isaiah 4, verse 2. Isaiah 4, 1 more blends in with the, the previous chapter, and we'll, we'll discuss that here in just a bit. But Isaiah 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch, the branch, the branch branch there in the New King James is capitalized, the branch, and, and rightly so, as it reflects or is describing what we know to be Jesus Christ. And, and not only is it the branch, but it says, in that day, the branch of the eternal, the branch of the eternal. Strong's uh, talks about this, this branch as being a sprout, uh, literally or, or figuratively, but a, a branch or a bud, that, that which springs out. It springs out of, of something, something uh, in, in, and in some cases, springs out as, as from a decayed tree. But all of a sudden, this, this bud pops out. I don't know how many of you uh, experienced this this past winter, but how many of you lost shrubs or bushes this winter? Yeah, look at them. Wow, quite a few of you. We, uh, we had the, the, the horrible freezing storm that was really kind of neat, but also pretty rough here in the area this past winter. And I've, I've got shrubs in the front. There, it's, a, it's a little, little hedge uh, that's kind of low to the ground and that I, trim, that I really should have trimmed before we left for the feast that I never got to, but... Uh, and, and Lisa got me a, she got me an electric hedge trimmer one day for Father's Day. I was really happy about that. Uh, but, but anyway, I didn't use it for this. But, but 
I, I really wanted to take care of that. But there is another shrub to the right. It's, it's a bush as, as you stand looking at our house in the driveway. And, and this, this bush, since we've been here these, these nine years, it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I'll trim it every year, but, it, but it's that kind of thing where you want to you, you, you want to trim it, it, but it's growing out of control. But if you give it the burr that it needs, then it's going to be brown and ugly and just look nasty. And I just thought, oh, I don't want to do that, even though that's really what it needs because it's taking over my, my front uh, of the house there. The good thing is, is it protects the garbage cans. You know how these HOAs think, you, they see your garbage can, they're going to let you know. We don't have an HOA, but I think they did that with the intent in mind. So as that, as that thing got bigger and bigger, you never really saw our green and our blue uh, garbage cans uh, there to the side from waste management. But uh, anyway, so the storm hits. The, the storm hits, and the storm hit really, really hard. And my shrubs did really well. My bushes on the other side did really well. But this bush that was out of control, healthy, growing, that I could never seem to trim it, uh, to the degree that my uh, barber trimmed my hair yesterday uh, and took out my right sideburn so high that I was sideburn free. Uh, no, actually it was my left. My left was sideburn free. And I always, I, I, I've told her many times I would, I would like to keep a little sideburn, but she just, she gets there and just like, and then and I'm thinking, okay, she's got it. She's not going to go any higher. And then she'll trim, trim, trim. And I'm, no, it's going higher. I know it's going higher. And sure enough, it's, it was way up my ear to where I'm sideburn free. And this side was actually reasonable. It was a little higher than I like it. But I've got to whack this thing up now to get it halfway. It's still not even. But, uh, you know, the trials of people living in, uh, in this area. We, we don't have as... Well, we, we all have trials. We all have difficult trials. But that, that was my trial from yesterday. But, but I, I wanted to give that thing a, a trim. I didn't. And, and yet here it was full of life, and now it's dead. And I kept waiting. I was thinking it was going to grow. I listened to the tree doctor, the dirt doctor, uh, on a, at one of those AM stations. And he says, "You just wait. Just wait. See if this thing comes back to life. It, it may, may come back to life. Wait and watch. It did not come back to life. It got deader and deader and deader to where I just realized I gotta, I gotta whack this thing uh, and I gotta cut it all the way down. I've gotta get rid of it and I gotta figure out what else I'm gonna plant. So, uh, and there are some people still out there in our neighborhood that are hoping. And I just really don't think, I don't know, I don't think it's gonna happen, but anyway. So I went to, uh, I, I got my, my handsaw, I'm not, I, I should not have a, a power chainsaw. I know that. I recognize that. I could hurt myself. So I had, I had a handsaw, and I, whacked, I, I went to whack that thing down all the way at the, the very root, uh, at, at the base of it. And it was about, about this big, at, this big at, the way, at, at the base. But just right as I went to do it, I saw this little green sprig coming out from the bottom of it. And I thought... That's a weed, because weeds get in those bushes, too. And you think, okay, oh, it's coming back to life. No, and there's these vine weeds thing. But I look carefully. No, it was coming out of the trunk. I thought, this thing might have some life in it. So uh, I, I whacked it down just at the point slightly above where that little, little sprig was coming out. And I looked, and then I saw another one on the other side. But I thought, we'll see. We'll see. 
So I whacked that down. We got through, uh, we got through uh, the rest of the winter and then the spring, and then all of a sudden, here it comes. It's just, it's, it's green, it's vibrant, it's out of control growth. It's, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's about, uh, if this is the ground, it's probably about this high right now and just full and growing out. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's Isaiah 4, verse 2. Isaiah 4, verse 2, and in that day, this sprout, this, this little bud of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. You think of, of, of what will have happened as, as, as the events that lead up to what we talked about on the Feast of Trumpets, the, all of the, the cataclysms that are going on in the world. And then to top that off, you've got the final, not only the seven trumpets, but the, the seventh trumpet blast and the seven final plagues and the destruction and the death that is everywhere. Uh, total, total depravity. And, and then in terms of the earth, depravity of the earth and everything that has been killed and is dead and dying. And, and then all of a sudden, you have, after this, this branch of the Lord returns, you begin to see that bud, that bud of life that begins to grow, and it begins to grow there in Jerusalem and, and begins to spread out. Look at what it says in verse 3. And the fruit of the earth, that could mean the ground, that could mean the land, that could mean the earth. And, and, and the fruit of the earth, what comes out of that, shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. There will be Israel who will be, have spread into captivity all over in the coastlands and the isles. They've, they've already spread out, but they will be gathered back, and, and they will be able to experience this fruit of the earth that comes from this single branch of the Lord, this, this bud or this sprout that comes out of everything that appears to be dead, life begins and, we're, and mankind will begin to see that life begin again as we begin the, millennial, uh, the millennium for those who have escaped. Let's look at... Uh, a description of, of who this branch of the Lord is, this capital B branch in the New King James. Let's go over to Isaiah. If you want to keep your uh, tab in your Bible, if you've got one of those uh, tabs, uh, then do so in Isaiah 4. Let's go over to Isaiah 11, verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1. So many passages that we'll look at today. Not, not so many, but there are, are several smattered throughout Scripture that talk about this, this branch that, uh, again, metaphorically, I believe, uh, transitions us from the branch's return to what the branch begins to do as he sets up shop in Jerusalem. Isaiah 11, verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1. One, one of the things that I really like about this passage is it not only describes, uh, again, this, this branch, but, but it talks about the effect of this branch, how this branch leads, how this branch causes the kind of growth that is beautiful uh, to, to occur on the earth. And I would ask us, as, as we look at this passage, does this, as, as, as you read this and as I read this, uh, what, what this branch does, does it, does it reflect 
to some degree how our families are, how we who have a degree of influence in our families, in our marriages, how does, how does this speak to the way that we, with what we've been given, are, are, are causing or effecting as, as, uh, as we go forward? How does it impact our, our church, our congregation? Is this, is this what we see? Is this what we see uh, as we'll go to the feast here in a, in a few days, as, as we interact with others? I think it's a beautiful passage, speaking of, of the branch uh, that is known as Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a rod the margin uh, renders that uh, a, a shoot, a shoot that, that, that shoots out. A rod from the stem of Jesse. The stem, uh, again, this, this, this trunk or this base that was Jesse, Jesse who was the father of David. The, there is a rod that comes from the stem of Jesse and a branch. There it is again, capitalized. A branch shall grow out of its roots. Notice this and think about this with respect to the millennium. Think about this with respect to the degrees of influence that we have uh, in in our lives uh, with others. The spirit of the eternal shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We're we're going to keep the Feast of of Tabernacles and we're reflecting and, and putting ourselves forward of of what this might be like as mankind uh, finds itself under the rulership of an individual, the branch that possesses these characteristics, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, uh, of wise counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, the true knowledge of God, the true knowledge that comes from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that being that uh, is, is a leader in that is, has been uh, put away for a thousand years. We're seeing the, the fee, and it's all tied up in the, the acknowledgement, the great reverence, the great awe uh, and fear of the eternal. This individual, verse 3's delight is in the fear of the Lord. He lives for the fear of the Lord. We are going to, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles so that we may learn to fear, to revere the Lord always. Jesus Christ, this branch, delight, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Is that our delight? Is that my delight? As I go to the feast, am I reflecting on that? I am delighting in the fear of the eternal as I come to worship before him. He won't judge by just the sight of his eyes. He won't judge by just the hearing of something that he hears, but he judges with righteousness. He judges the poor, and he decides with equity for the meek of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Of course, we know that begins initially with his return. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness. You can count on his faithfulness. He is completely obedient to God. He comes through. I am, I am the Lord. I change not. And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. This being is this branch, this one who gave his life for us, will be ruling the nations and will be there at his side to help. We go to the feast to reflect on what this branch, this this shoot that grows out to cause this branch to create life. This is how life and happiness and peace begins to develop, uh, begin to develop. So does that reflect 
our lives? Does that reflect what goes on in our family with the exception of striking the earth with the rod of our mouths? Hopefully we're not doing that on a regular basis, uh, but he will have that role as, as we know. But does this, does this could, could we plug our names into any of these concepts as, as we interact with others, as we deal with some of the challenging situations that we face, as we uh, serve in, in, uh, in a loving way in our, in our families? This is this being that will govern in this manner. What we're celebrating uh, here in, in, uh, in two and a half days is, is what will one day be real. How will we strive uh, to live and operate within our sphere of influence in this manner? Let's look at uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Uh, actually, while you do that, I'll, I'll read verse 10 as well from Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, uh, verse 10. And in that day there shall be this root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, who stands, he stands there as a banner to the people. For the, the, the people of, of, of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, to look and see this great being that stands with this as a banner, to, to a person to whom all mankind can look. And the Gentiles, as a result, will seek him as he begins to bring all of mankind to him in his way. This is what we're celebrating here in the next few days. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, it's a, a passage that's uh, nestled in this discussion of, of Jesus Christ as our, as our sacrifice of what he took on that we read at Passover. But it speaks again to, to who he was and, and a fulfillment of, of the prophecy that we read earlier. Isaiah 53, verse 2, For he shall grow up before him, he, meaning uh, Christ, grows up before the eternal uh, as a tender plant as, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form, uh, stately form or, or comeliness or splendor in his first coming. And when we see him, there is, is no beauty that we should desire him. Uh, but he was despised and he was rejected or forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He, and we, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. That first, that first coming, but he did what he did for all of mankind. Look at verse 8, the latter half. For he was cut off from the land of the living. Satan, thinking of what, what he had been a part of and what he had been able to accomplish, Jesus Christ was cut off from the land of, living, of the living. But Satan, uh, in his plans, uh, did not fully... I don't know if he fully grasped or in his evil perversion was not fully cognizant of the depth to which the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has created through his death and his resurrection the potential for life, for everything, to, to spring forth, to bud out out of this dead tree life and life ultimately for all of mankind, those who receive his call. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. He says, Behold, the days are coming. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David, I will raise this branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. This king shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. 
This is Jesus Christ that will set up this government that we're about to celebrate. Let's go to Zechariah 6. Zechariah 6 mentions this as well. Zechariah 6, verse 12. Zechariah 6, verse 12, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he'll build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and so he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. That's, that's how it springs forth. It springs forth from the branch as he sets uh, up his rule here on earth. Okay, so let's go back now, if we could, uh, back to Jeremiah 33. We'll read one more passage before we get back to Isaiah. Jeremiah 33. And let's look at verse 14. Jeremiah 33, verse 14. He says again here in Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the the Eternal, that I will perform that good thing which I've promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. he's, He's going to follow through. God is faithful. He said he will do this. He's going to do it. And he's going to bring in those days. And at that time, I will cause to grow up to David... A branch of righteousness. This this being, this individual, shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Well, let's go back now to Isaiah 4 and spend the rest of the time in verses 3 through 6. This is that branch that springs forth. This is that branch that begins to cause a different way of life to take place, not only there, but in all the land. You know, after the the devastating events leading up to to and, and upon Christ's return, all the destruction and death, we have some good things beginning to happen. Let's look here, verse 3, and it shall, uh, Isaiah 4, verse 3, And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem, those, uh, those who have escaped, those one-tenth or so, if we understand prophecy correctly, uh, with how many of, 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 of Israel, modern day, uh, all of the nations of, of Israel, uh, one-tenth or so that are alive, every, everyone who is left, Uh, in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Verse 4, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and when he's purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Figuratively, uh, I guess we could say this is part of the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets and, and the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets of Jesus Christ's return and, and all that he does and the, the, the destruction that's going to happen, but also the, the, the cleansing uh, that we see in the meaning of the Day of Atonement with Jesus Christ being that sin offering and mankind recognizing Jesus Christ's role in, in creating this opportunity to be uh, purged uh, of the 
from the, the consequences of their actions, uh, let alone uh, what happens with Satan the devil being put out for a thousand years. But we, we look here, he says, he will be able to cleanse, uh, wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Look at uh, back in the previous chapter, we, we touched on this in the FI class, but when you look at the imagery here of Isaiah 3, starting in verse 16, it's, it's interesting seeing that uh, in, in terms of a, of a modern-day application of, of what's going on in, in the world uh, today, especially in what we see in, in Western society, the challenges that, that uh, those in, in the church have as we have to, as we have to deal, and, and deal with and live in this kind of a society. He says, the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with outstretched necks. Is this not a, a present-day description of, of, of modern fashion and, and culture? Here is as what the look is, the look that, that women are to have. And, and women in the church have to battle with this. Well, what, I, I want to look presentable. I want to put myself in a position where I look uh, as appropriate as possible and, and as, as beautiful as I, as I, as I can. But at, and, and then with, with men in society, what, what, are, what are we taught? We are taught that this look is what is truly attractive. So this look of today's society uh, is, 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 is pretty much... Uh, in, in, encompasses uh, what is talked about here. Moreover, the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, seductive eyes, walking and mincing as they go. It's all about the look. It's all about the seduction. It's all about the, the creating of a situation to where uh, I look sexy uh, as a woman. Uh, that that look that is, is what all women are supposed to have in today's society, making a jingling with their feet. How does God view it, and, and what does God say he'll do about it? It's pretty graphic here, isn't he? Verse 17, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab. I hate scabs. Scabs are, scabs are rough. I've never liked, I, I don't like saying that word, and I've said it twice already, uh, but it's, 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 it's kind of rough here, isn't it? Uh, he will strike them with a scab. I said it three times. The crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. The Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that society at that time, uh, one of the, the most humiliating situations uh, to have happen would be to be made naked in front of others, in, in front of strangers and, and people who, whom, you know, not obviously with the husband and wife situation, but to be exposed for others to see the shame of that. Interestingly enough, it, it, look at the society, how that's flipped uh, to where it, it's all about being as exposed as possible because that's considered to be alluring. I, I'm struggling with that word, alluring. Uh, uh, but that, that whole concept, everything is all messed up, isn't it? It's all messed up. It's all twisted where God is saying, you know, that, that nothing wrong with the... The, 
dressing up beautifully and, and wearing fine apparel, as, as uh, is talked about in Ezekiel 16, as God talks about how he dressed his lovely wife, Israel, and all of the, the, the grandeur and, and the, the pleasantries and all that, that with which he uh, you know, placed on her as he treasured his beautiful wife. But, but this for this kind of purpose, uh, and, and what he says here is, is the filth of the daughter's uh, of, of Zion is, is brought out here as, as we continue to read this. He says, I'm, I'm going to, the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the fine jewelry, the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and the leg headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. And then look at the contrast. And so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. That's another word I hate to have to say, a stench. A stench. Instead of a sash, a rope wrapped around their necks as they're being pulled into captivity. Prancing about with uh, outstretched necks. And what does it end up in? Captivity. Captivity. Instead of, a, of well-set hair, everything's just perfect, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Being branded as a slave, being a burning scar uh, on the face instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn. And she being desolate shall sit on the ground like Job sat on the ground with the, the potsherd uh, scraping his boils. They'll, they'll sit on the ground. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, oh, we'll eat our own food. We'll, we'll wear our own apparel. Just let us be called by your name. Please take me in to take away our approach, our reproach. Jesus Christ, the branch the great cleanser, is going to clean away the filth of the daughters of Zion. He's going to clean away the filth of all of mankind as he begins to work with them. This is a wonderful, loving God that looks to help all of mankind. Let's look at Isaiah 3. Keep your finger there. Uh, oh, no, we just saw that. Let's go back to Zechariah 3, sorry. Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3. I love this passage. It's been several years since we've covered it. But this deals with uh, the prophet Zechariah and, and his visions as he talks about the, the high priest at the time. Uh, I think it was Joshua, the high priest. Let me get there. But there, it's in this vision that he sees. And it's a vision where uh, Jesus Christ is there as the angel of the Lord. And uh, Satan is there as well. And Joshua, the high priest, who's now uh, serving in Zechariah's time in the early 500s, as, as the, the, the exiled people are brought back to, to Jerusalem from Babylon, and they're beginning to rebuild uh, everything and, and try to institute again true worship, we have this vision that, uh, <clears throat> that Zechariah has. Zechariah 3, Zechariah 3 verse... Verse, uh, verse 2. Well, let's just start in verse 1. Then he showed me, this is uh, either an angel or, or God himself, but he, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, 
Joshua was, was standing before the angel of the Lord, and usually when we see that term, it's, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he's also standing before Satan. So Satan's standing at, at his right hand to oppose him. As we know in New Testament, we have Jesus Christ who is our advocate, and we have Satan who is our accuser uh, in this court of law. Uh, and, and the Eternal said to Satan, verse 2, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who, cho- who has chosen Jerusalem, the Lord rebukes you. Is this not a brand that, that I've plucked from the fire? Now, now Joshua... Uh, in, this, in this vision, in, in a sense uh, re- similar to what we see of the daughters of, of Zion. Uh, so Joshua is clothed here in verse 3 with filthy garments, and he's standing before the angel. So then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away these filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festal garments, with, with rich robes. He, again, millennial significance here, taking away the filth of the daughters of Zion and all of a sudden cleansing him and, and putting on festal robes. It is time to feast. It's, it's a time of great joy, a great, uh, a great peace and great abundance that we're about to experience in these thousand years. Verse 5, and he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Look at verse 8. So hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are, are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. I'm bringing him. My servant, the branch, for behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the eternal of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. I'm going to take it away. Now, that, that could have several uh, elements to it. It could have one uh, in, in terms of the, the, the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, the meaning of that of Satan being bound, uh, hands being laid upon the, the goat and, and it be sent off into a solitary land. We also have the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that, that in one day his, his death took away the iniquity of, of, of the land in that respect for those who would be called uh, at, at that time. Of, you know, in a sense, this Zechariah thing being a forerunner of what was to happen at, at Christ's death and for those who accepted that sacrifice as the New Testament church, the New Covenant church began. It's, it's a type of how our sins have been taken away in one day, those of, us, those of us who have been baptized. We went into the watery grave. We came up. Our sins were taken away in one day. Imagine when... The, the binding of Satan, and in a sense, the, the, the second part of that, of that sacrifice, the, the, uh, the slaying of uh, the other goat, uh, that's the sin offering, in a sense, that marking the beginning of the sin being taken away, the, the filth being beginning to be purged from the land as others have opportunity come in, to come into God's way of life and to accept that sacrifice uh, of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice of the branch. Very, very millennial passage here of, of the coming branch and what, what that will do throughout uh, what that began with Jesus Christ's death uh, initially and then throughout time, especially into the millennium and on into the great white throne judgment. I- incredible imagery here of what's going on. I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. 
In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his fig tree uh, and under his vine and under his fig tree. Let's go back now to Isaiah as we finish up this thought. Not only do we, do we see that, that going on, I love the imagery here that he says next in verse 5. After he does that, purging the blood of Jerusalem from her midst and, and uh, washing away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Look at verse 5 as, as the millennium begins. And then the eternal will create above Every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies, he's going to create a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Doesn't take long to figure out that, does it? Just like Israel had, had both the fire to, to show them God's presence, the light, and the cloud to know that he was there as they traveled uh, on their way to the promised land. As, as, in a sense, the promised land begins in the millennium, we see God's presence is there. That, that, that shining light, that flaming fire by night, that cloud to know that, that his presence is there, it is settled. And notice what it does. For over all of that glory, there will be a covering, a canopy, a, a, a covering of protection for all of God's people. Mankind there, and as that goes out, will begin to see what's really going on here. This, this great cleanser has cleaned us up, and he's there in our presence, and he's going to teach us of his way, and he's going to create a, a wonderful covering for us, this great God whom we serve. In the millennium, that branch will always be there. Let's look at, at verse 6 now, at verse 6. In this dwelling place where this, this massive canopy uh, effect occurs by the flaming fire and, and, uh, and the, the clouds that are there, the, the, the canopy, the covering that is there, just as we see and, and reflect upon the, the canopy or the covering or the, the mercy seat, which is the lid that comes down upon the Ark of the Covenant, that, that canopy of protection that, that, that Jesus Christ, who is the mercy seat, is for us so that we can have access and we're right there at, at the, 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 the temple of God. This, this place now, this, this flaming fire by night and this cloud isn't taking them to the promised land because it is the promised land. The tabernacle, the, the, the setup is there. This is where I, the Lord, am. This is where you will have refuge and safety and protection. Notice what it says in verse 6. And there will be a tabernacle. There will be this dwelling there uh, as a result of the flaming fire, the, the cloud, and, and the canopy that covers. There will be a tabernacle there, and it will be for shade in the daytime. It will be shade from the heat. It will be for a place of refuge, and it will be a shelter from storm and rain. Jesus Christ creates that for mankind. Beautiful imagery for us. 
I, I think personally, in what we experience now from the, the tempests of the God of this world. You know, you think of the world in which we live, brethren, and, and the challenges that we face, the, the battles that we fought, the, the environment that we're seeing growing worse and worse and worse. God provides us. He provides his people now, you and me. He provides us this, this, this shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and from a shelter from storm and rain. I was talking with Esther Lytle, who lost her husband and, and, uh, you know, to COVID and is in our Sherman congregation and talking with her. She was at her funeral this past this past week and, and then talking with her on the Day of Atonement. And she said, you know, Mr. Burnett, it's, it's rough to lose your husband, but I have seen, even through all of this, the events that, that led up to, to his suffering and, and he did not linger on. He is now at rest. I've seen through all of this, this in a sense, this tempest that, that she had gone through, she saw how God had provided for her a place of refuge, a place of comfort, a place of shelter from the storm and rain. And she's going on with her life. She's going forward towards the promised land. I, uh, I, think, I think of all that our brethren have been going through. And as I said earlier, you, know, you think about all the, the things that, that God's people are going through right now, the challenges that they're facing uh, around the world individually and, and here locally. I, I think of what, what we went through with, with, with Jeff as, as Jeff was deteriorating and uh, the last year and a half uh, up till now. So many challenges and, and trials, and there were days when I just thought, as I've told you before, that I, I don't know that I can get through this day. I just need God help me get through this day to get on to the next day. But, but then in looking back on it, though, as, as, we've, as, as we've seen it, and even in, in going through it, uh, some of those things. I, we just saw these little places where God provided in the tempest that we were dealing with, he provided a little shelter here, you know, a little place of refuge here and a little place of refuge here, shelter from the storm and rain. And I think, wow, you know, God, God looks after us. He, he is caring for us. He is caring for his people. I must stay in a, in a, in a mindset that I see the pillar of fire. I see the cloud that God is guiding all of us, that he's guiding me towards the promised land now. I, I see the home that we have in God, the, the tabernacle that we have, uh, this tabernacle that is a, a final dwelling place for us in eternity in the family of God. What a wonderful blessing God has given us uh, to to, to recognize that and see that, that great covering that he provides. I'd like to end today with one of my favorite psalms. Let's go to Psalm 32. When I think of what's going to happen for mankind uh, to, to have the filth and the blood purged, to have the branch that establishes himself in Jerusalem, in leading and in ruling in, in perfect government, perfect love, perfect caring for mankind, offering that shelter and that tabernacle, 
as he invites others to, to enter into his eternal family. Brethren, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to be given what we've been given, the, the hope and the peace of mind to go forward, the hope and peace of mind to go forward to this upcoming Feast of, Feast of Tabernacles season. Makes me think again of, of Psalm 30, 32, as it, as it speaks to our lives and how God has, has purged us of our sins and cleansed us and given us great peace. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. What a time that's going to be when he takes that iniquity away from mankind and says, I do not impute that to you. It's covered in the blood of the branch. It's covered in that life of that bud that sprung forth from utter destruction because I'm creating something new and I'm giving you an invitation to be a part of that. What, what's that going to be like for mankind? And here we are going to be able to, to help usher that in and to help encourage and inspire others to th- this being over here, this being did this for me and, 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 and he is going to do this for you. And we love you. And it's going to be all right. And not only is it going to be all right, it's going to be incredible. And you're alive now. Be thankful and, and, and watch God do his marvelous works. Blessed is he, uh, the man who, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin, though, to you. I acknowledged it and my iniquity I have not hidden. I've I've opened that up to you, God. I said, "I, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, as all of mankind will do as we have done and as we will continue to do. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. God may be found by us now. He will be found by those in the millennium as Jesus Christ rules from Jerusalem. Surely in a, great flood of, in, a, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. But you are my hiding place. You are my canopy. You are the cloud, the fire, the, the tabernacles there. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you so that the person as... As uh, God says, I will instruct you and I'll teach you in the way you should go. I'm going to guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they won't come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It'll be neat to see all shouting for joy, those upright in heart, as our great, our great God and Jesus Christ, the branch, rules from Jerusalem.